welcome to Sutlersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Friends, we come to this time in worship where we consider the word. Now that we've meditated, now that we've contemplated and sat and allowed it to speak, we, we dive into the message that comes to us, that the Holy Spirit takes the words on the page and, and brings life and a good word to us now. And in the second Sunday of Lent, we are continuing in our series, Rend Your Hearts, Claiming the Promise. And last week, we had the prophet Joel, and we looked at the way that the prophet spoke a word to the people, that there was a cataclysmic fate coming for Israel, and the judgment of God was what Joel labeled that coming. The judgment of God up to that point, Israel thought would be a judgment that upholds them and their goodness, but Joel flips it around and follows in the tradition of Amos the prophet, that actually it's Israel Israel, who's in the wrong, they are guilty. And so the judgment is not a good news. And they were unfaithful. That was their, that was their guilt. It was due to their unfaithfulness. They weren't living the way that God had called them to live. They weren't being for the world, the people that God had called them and empowered them and instructed them to be. They were instead serving other gods, mainly themselves and their egos or greed you know, the kinds of things that we struggle with. And so even in the midst of these circumstances, Joel brings the good word that yet even now there's hope that we can return to God, that we can rend our hearts and claim the promise. And so we are using that message to help us walk through this time of Lent where we examine our hearts. We are are headed toward the cross and the empty tomb, that Easter Sunday, that glorious moment. But before We need to prepare ourselves. And so we're doing that. So last week we focused on Joel, and we're going to revisit the ancient promise this week and understand exactly what it is we are called into to understand how we have fallen short. And the season of Lent is where we come to examine our own unfaithfulness. We examine it for what it is, not what we've convinced ourselves it is so many times when we convince ourselves that we're in good standing, that we're good, that the things we do aren't, aren't really that bad or big a deal. And, and Lent, we intentionally stop and say, yeah, they are. We need to be fully faithful to God. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Where have I struggled? Where is God calling me to move and to grow and to change, to return? These are good questions to ask, and they should give us hope because we have the promise in Jesus Christ. And so in that promise, let us rend our hearts. Now, I want to begin with a story, and it's made up, but I want you to imagine that you're sitting at home this week, you know, because we sit at home all the time, and a door gets knocked on in your house, knock, knock, and you open the door and it's me. And I say, hey, I've got the deal of a lifetime for you. What I need from you is you give me, promise to give me 50% of all your wealth, of everything that you own, everything that you have, entrust it to me, sign it over, and then I'm going to give you 10,000% return on this investment. 
And you say, okay, that, that sounds good. 10,000% seems great. And so I have the check made out to Joe and, and then I leave. And a few years go by and you don't hear from me. Not a word. There's no website where you can go and check and see what's going on with your money. There's, there's no note. There's no indication that anything's changed. No update. You just don't hear from me. Several years go by and I show back up and I say, hey, have you continued to make sure and send me 50%? I mean, I imagine your, your wealth, your value has grown a little bit. Have you adjusted the 50%? Have you sent me the difference? Don't worry, the return is coming, okay? The return's coming. You just keep staying committed to the agreement, okay? And then I disappear. And more than a decade goes by and you hear, you see nothing, no return. In fact, a couple times I check in on you, but just to make sure that you are staying true to your ends, right? Or when you haven't, I give you a hard time about that because you've, you haven't stayed diligent at calculating your wealth, and so you've actually shorted me, and so I come back and say, hey, come on, and you, you give it to me. 24 years goes by in this kind of relationship. 24 years, and I show up, and I say, hey, I'm gonna bring you that 10,000% return, but just continue to give me 50% of all that you're worth. Continue to do it, and make sure that you don't short me. And in fact, because you have shorted me, in the past, I'm gonna need an additional 10% just to show me that you truly do trust in what I'm promising. So at some point in our conventional wisdom, in this arrangement, your friends are probably going to call you and knock on your door and say, what are you doing? Why are you giving Joe all this money? Why are you trusting? It's been 24 years. Don't you think it's time to stop? Don't you think you've given Joe enough time to come through? He's not going to come through. And if you don't understand that after 24 years, I mean, you're, you're in your 90s now, friends, and Joe still hasn't given you anything to prove that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, yet he wants you to continue honoring your end. Let's be, let's be honest. In our conventional wisdom, we wouldn't disagree with these friends, would we? We would say that it's not smart to continue giving money to Joe. It doesn't make any sense. It's been too long. Right? You agree? If you don't agree, then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you later and I'm going to need you to give me 50% of your stuff, right? No, I'm kidding. You understand. Uh, this is not how we operate in our world. And so we come to the passage that we heard in Genesis, and we have a very similar situation. In fact, if you didn't figure it out, my story just goes right along with it. There have been multiple times in the life of Abraham that God has shown up and said, hey, I've got a promise. The promise is gonna be a land, it's gonna be a blessing, it's gonna be a family. That's what I'm promising you, it's coming. So here's what I need you to do. And that's happened. This is the third time in our passage today that it's happened. Uh, they're told that they're going to be not only parents of many people, they're going to be parents of many nations, many groups of people, not just of one family, but of lots of families. Kings of nations will come from them. And we know through Christ, according to Paul, that came true, right? We are in the family line of Abraham through faith, not blood, but faith. Because if we operate with the type of faith that Abraham operated with, Abraham and Sarah, 
then we follow in their line and their family, and we are now part of the family promised. And we see that fulfillment of many peoples, many different groups of peoples, all being involved. So we know that's going to happen because we're on the other side of it. But Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're sitting there on, on the side before it all actually comes to fruition. Abraham's 99 years old. Sarai is, or Sarah is, uh, sorry, Abram is 99 years old. Sarai is 89 years old. They've received the calling from God 24 years earlier in Genesis 12. I know when you've only gone five chapters in Genesis, it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but it's 24 years. They responded to the original calling. They left their land. They took all their possessions, uprooted themselves from their tradition, from their family, from the only way they knew how life operated, and they left. And they ended up being strangers in foreign land, wandering. They, they passed through Canaan. They went to Egypt. They've encountered kings. They've lied to kings. Sarai has lied with kings. Abram has given Sarah over for the sake of his own protection. Abram and Sarai actually tried to take the promise of the blessing into their own hands using Hagar, and they have given their bodies in ways that were not faithful, all because what God had said had not come to fruition. They've strayed, but despite their unfaithfulness to the covenant, which was in Genesis 15, God has continued to honor God's end of the covenant, continued to be faithful. And so we come to today's scene, 24 years later, and God says, walk before me and be blameless. That may be the way it's translated in a lot of your Bibles. Walk before me. Walk in my sight. Walk and be blameless. In today's translation, it's a little easier to understand. It's walk with me and trust. And trust me. Walk with me in faith. God says. 24 years, God shows up and says, walk with me in faith. Keep going. Not only that, God says, I'm going to need a little more skin in the game from you, Abraham, beyond these 24 years of waiting for the promise. See what I did there? That's a little joke. God does this because it's like God saying, hey, look, because you used your body in an act of unfaithfulness to try and fulfill the promise on your own terms, I'm going to mark your body, that part of your body, in such a way to remind you of the promise that I made. To redeem that part of the body misused, I'm going to redeem it and use it still. I'll take your shortcoming and I'll bring a blessing through it because I'm the God of redemption. I am the God of faithful love. And so God lays this out, what's this, what this is going to look like for Abram and Sarai. And God goes through a renaming in the process. Abram, means exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of many or a multitude. Sarai becomes Sarah. Sarah means princess. And so she's exalted as a matriarch in this agreement. And then God began the scene right away with a new title for God. It says, I am God Almighty. Now, it's written in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. And there's a history behind that title. But this is the first time we see that title in the scripture. So God shows up with a new name. 
lays out the promise again, adds a little to it, well, subtracts if you want to be literal, and then gives Abram and Sarai new names, Abraham and Sarah. So everyone is entering into this with a new identity, with a new mark of the covenant. God's drawing closer to them despite their unfaithfulness. It's, it's a recommitment. Now, it's been 24 years. They're, they're in their 90s. The promise is coming, God says. The promise is coming. Just keep walking and trust me. And the amazing thing is, that's exactly what they did. That is exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. I cannot fathom that type of faith and commitment. If any of my friends or you know, if this was me going through this, I would expect my friends to give the kind of statements that I mentioned earlier in the story. Or if I knew Abraham and Sarah in their day, I would have been knocking on their door. What are you doing? In fact, Abraham seems to already be full of doubt because he laughs at this promise to he and Sarah. He laughs. We're, we're going to be 190. You've got to be kidding me. But in fact, Abraham does go forward to continue to walk with God and does the mark of the covenant. Circumcises every male of the household, even those that aren't a part of his bloodline in any way. That's commitment. That's faith. That is a response to a call. So here we are today. And we're gathered to worship and praise God and, and worship as the church in Sellersburg, many of you are experiencing blessing and comfort and fruition of the goodness of life, but many of you are not. In fact, some of you have some serious questions. Some of you have some serious doubts and frustrations. Some of you are wondering why anyone would put their trust, their faith, and God. And he might be saying, I mean, come on, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, ushered in the kingdom. It's supposed to be the beginning of the new age, you know, out with the old age, in with the new age. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we still have war and death and disease and famine and hatred and bigotry, misuse of power. I mean, we have unemployment happening in this country that's really hurting a lot of people. We easily curable diseases around the world, like diarrhea, easily curable, malaria, easily curable, and yet millions of people die from it all the time. So where's the kingdom? Some of you might be saying, I've been going to church all my life. I'm baptized. I try really hard to be a faithful person, to read my scripture, to participate in church, to, to give my tithes, to give my offerings, and, and I'm still going through pain in life. I'm still experiencing extreme disappointment and loss and grief. Things haven't worked out like I thought, or maybe like I was told. People have let me down. God, what gives? And those are real, those are real and honest questions and thoughts and feelings, and they belong. They belong in our faith because we have a long history of these types of questions. We, we've lost so much in the last year, so much, half a million people just in the U.S. We have struggled 
We've been through a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings. Every single one of us has. And God wants us to keep walking with complete trust. Walk before me and be blameless, God said to Abraham and Sarah. Many of us are really tempted to put our security not in what God's going to bring in our life, but in in something else. We're going to trust the stock market. We're going to trust ourselves. We're going to trust our own way of thinking, our own political perspective. Some of us, gosh, we handed that over a long time ago, right? Some of us handed it over before we actually experienced hardship. Maybe we were taught to. Some of us have tried not to, but in the midst of struggle and pain, we've felt like we had to turn over our trust and faith. Some of us have been feeling hopeless. That's a hard place to be. We're worn out. We're exhausted. We're overworked. We've been ignored. We've been isolated. We're dealing with depression. We're dealing with injury and the decline of our bodies. We're dealing with the loss of our friends and our family. We're dealing with butting heads everywhere. And it's frustrating. To adequately put the feelings into words, I want to turn to Psalm 13, because it expresses what we are feeling. And so Psalm 13 reads, How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart? Daily? How long will my enemy keep defeating me? Look at me. Answer me, Lord my God. Restore sight to my eyes. Otherwise, I'll sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I won. My foes will rejoice over my downfall. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord, because the Lord has been good to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How long, O Lord, is the question. Abraham and Sarah had to have been thinking it. We know they did because they acted in accordance with that kind of thinking. We know we all think it, whether we've been willing to admit it or not. If I'd known Abraham and Sarah (laughs) and going through what we read today, and they turned to me and said, what should we do? Should we keep going? Should we keep trusting? Should we believe? And all of my conventionalism, I'm afraid, honestly, I probably would have said, I think you've given God enough time to come through, and it hasn't happened. So I think it's time to draw some firm boundaries, some good personal boundaries, cut your losses, and move on. I'd, like to, I'd love to convince myself that I wouldn't say that. And maybe it would be easy to say that when I'm saying it to someone else. But if I were in Abraham and Sarah's shoes, I wonder. And in fact, friends, I don't have to wonder because I am in their shoes, because I do experience the things of this world. I do experience the pains and the struggles as the psalmist lifted up. And I have not always stayed faithful. I've put my security in other things. I may call out God's name, but when it comes to my actions, they don't reflect my praise. I think that's just how we think in our culture, right? And sadly, 
It's how we think in our church, the, the worldwide church. Instead of trusting in one another, we draw boundaries and we move on. Churches split all the time, right? They don't agree, they cut their losses, they don't trust that they're gonna be able to work through it and they become different churches. We're being threatened with a split right now. Instead of trusting each other, we demand that the other live up to our expectations. We put so much security in our perspective that we expect others to put their faith in it as if it is God's. Yeah, either shape up or ship out. That's how we approach things in our culture. And we can hear that in our words, in our thoughts, in our hearts in response to the things we face. How long, oh Lord? Like the psalmist Abraham and Sarah, they dealt with fear and doubt and time and time again, they fell short of being faithful. And yet, God continued to remain faithful to them every time. In fact, God seems to have drawn closer to them in every misstep because our God is more amazing than we can possibly understand. God does not live by our limited wisdom. Our God is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God of the mountains, the God of the universe. And when we misstep, God steps closer. In the psalm, the journey from despair in the first two stanzas comes to the third stanza, a place of remembrance and uplifting God's faithful love and salvation. We remembered that last week in Joel, that God's character, which was an echo of Exodus, that God's character is of mercy, compassion, an incredible patience of faithful love and forgiveness. We see it in today's passage so clearly. Despite all the falling short and wavering and doubt and unfaithfulness, God enters into a more deeply committed covenant with Abraham and Sarah. They all move forward with new names, new identity, new purpose, new commitment, a renewed relationship. And Abraham and Sarah respond by living up to the faith God had in them to the faith that God gave them. We're called to follow in their footsteps. That's our faith. We want to be a part of the family of God. And in this Lenten season, we analyze and consider and examine and contemplate and pray and truly open our eyes and our hearts to find out how we're doing. Even when things seem bleak, full of pain and doubt, God draws nearer to us all the more. And if you haven't seen that or experienced that, I can assure you, you can ask a number of people in your church family who will witness to that fact and ask them because they would love to share it with you. We, would, we need to tell that story of ourselves to others because we've all been there and we're all gonna be there again. And we need to be reminded, we need to remember who our God is. God, gives us the promise of blessing, love, and salvation. And then God empowers us to enter into that promise, to claim that promise. It's been our hearts that have wavered, not our bodies like Abraham and Sarah. So we're, we're called to rend or tear our hearts, not our clothing. And the ancient practice of tearing your clothing as a sign of grief and mourning and loss 
God says the real grief and the mourning and the loss is not anything outward, it's inward. We have experienced the inward loss of our trust, of our faithfulness. So let us fully face that unfaithfulness. Let us fully confess all the places that that unfaithfulness has taken us. And it's taken us many places. We know the full power of unfaithfulness in God. When we relinquish the reins, when we give our security to something or someone else, we know how far from promise it takes us. And this is not the problem of just a few. This is a problem of us all, every one of us, which is why it's not rend your heart, it's rend your hearts. As Joel lifted up, it takes everyone coming together, and that's how it is now. And we do this in trust that our God is faithful still. Our God is merciful, compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love and forgiving. There's no better witness to these things than the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no better witness to these things than the work of the Spirit in our hearts, already having brought us through so much into new life springing new life within us, drawing us evermore into a place of sacred and holy living. So friends, let us walk before this God and be blameless. Let us walk with God and trust in the blessing of love and salvation. And let us trust God above everything else, including ourselves. And let's be in this for the long haul because we know God is faithful. And this is so important. We have to do this together as one, as one body of many members. A church transformed by God will change the world. It has in the past. It will in the future. So let us walk into that future together, trusting God every step of the way as one. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.